Hallelujah. 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 Oh, no one compares to you. There's no comparison. You are faithful through the ages. Hallelujah. Glory be to God, Daddy. We just thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made, and we choose to rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you for every opportunity that we have to come together in your presence. We thank you for the prayers that have already been prayed. The table has been set. Oh, may our praise and worship be a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto your nostrils. May our praise and our worship welcome your presence. Holy Spirit, have your way in the service today. Move as you see fit. Convict, advance, inspire, motivate, grow in the hearts of every one of your people. We thank you for a glorious result of lives being encouraged to live more and more for you. For you are worthy of our daily sacrifice. In Jesus' name. And all those that are in agreement said, amen. amen. Before you take your seat, I want you to high-five three of your neighbors and say, it's great to see you on this morning. Hallelujah. And we welcome those that are viewing us by way of social media. Welcome to the 9 a.m. edition of Linked Up Church. Praise God. Most of you know if you're a first-time visitor or you're viewing us for the very first time, I am not Pastor Joel Gregory, but I am his better half. So I welcome you on this morning. I do invite you back, especially if you're a first-time visitor, just to indulge in the anointing that's upon his life. He is a blessing to the body of Christ, and I just love him to pieces. But I'm wrapping up some stuff and taking care of some Holy Ghost business. Amen? Now, last week I started ministering on now. Now what? We celebrated the resurrection. Jesus came. He died and redeemed us back to him. He came back to earth for 40 days to make sure we were secure in the message. And then he ascended on high. And the question to you all is, now what? All too often I made reference to the fact that we live this life of Christ like it's a Sunday-only practice. But he intended us, when he gave his life, he intended for us to live our life, not only for him, but in his presence, as if he is with us, for he is all the time. Just a quick review, Jesus came to do three things in his last 50 days of ministry. In his last 50 days of ministry, 10 days before the resurrection and the last 40 days after the resurrection, he came to accomplish and make, more, make no, note three, tips, three key things. Number one we already talked about was he warned. He came back and he warns. He warns us of the future, both near and far. He lets us know later on, he says, hey, the kingdom of God is likened unto 10 virgins. And he said 50% of them were wise, 50% of them were not wise, were foolish is actually what he said. And the reason why is because the 50 that were wise were prepared. And the 50 that were not wise or foolish was not prepared for his return. He also came to warn us of the social climates and the division and the power struggle, wars and rumors of wars. And if you're in this country, there's a lot of things to be concerned about if you're just looking with the natural eye, right? we got a lot of things going on in this country, both politically and socially. But guess what? Jesus said, this is going to happen. In fact, these things must be so that the Son of Man can return. He said, but if you stay ready, you ain't got to worry about getting ready. So the next part of that warning is that, hey, so stay ready. Because you don't know when I'm going to come. If I could tell you, I would, but I'm going to come as a thief in the night. Only the Father has the hands on that timetable. And so he admonishes us to stay in an attitude of being ready. What does being ready look like? He says, have that lamp of his light and the Holy Spirit on all the time. Talked about the rise and fall of a nation, which begins with the rise and fall of the people, which begins with the rise and fall of a person. So I didn't make reference to it, but the first author of this, uh, of this study was Alexander Fraser Teitler back in the 1800s. And he says, bondage leads to spiritual freedom, 
Spiritual freedom leads to courage. Courage leads to prosperity. Prosperity leads to abundance. Abundance leads to selfishness. Selfishness leads to complacency. Complacency leads to apathy. Apathy leads to dependence. And dependence leads us right back to bondage. And I declare in the name of Jesus, the people of Linked Up Church and everyone that is viewing us by way of social media will not fall victim of the historical cycle of the rise and fall of a people. Because when you're in Christ, all we do is keep going higher and higher and higher from glory to glory. Amen. Now tweet that. When you're in Christ, God never, ever made a creation that did not know how to go from glory to glory. He said light be. And guess what? They're discovering light every time you turn around. People have continued to multiply because it is part of who he is. He's about glory to glory. He's about prosperity. He's about growth. He's about advancement. So now we're going to pick up with number two. The second thing that Jesus did in his last 50 days of ministry was Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. Turn with me to John chapter 17. And I'm, going to, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I'm going to make reference. And I love the way the message Bible terms it. It's so plain and simple, and I really want... The Holy Spirit just really wants you to get this. In John chapter 17, that whole chapter is Jesus praying. In fact, it's recorded elsewhere, but specifically here, he prays out loud and makes it plainly so, so that they know that, hey, this is what I'm praying for you all the time. This is why I came. Seal my prayers by your cooperation in my prayer. This is my will for the church. Number one, he prayed for himself. Number one is he prayed, I mean, number two is he prayed, but underneath he prayed, I should say, A, he prayed for himself. Jesus says that he, he prays that God shows his goodness through Jesus so big that no one can deny the desire to know him. Jesus makes it clear that he also wants to go home. He says, it says here in verse 1, Jesus said these, the, Jesus saying these things, then raising his eyes in prayers, he said, Father, it's time to display the bright splendor of your son so the son in turn may show your bright splendor. If you're in the King James, he says, glorify me so that I can glorify you. So the son in turn may show your bright splendor. You put him in charge of everything human so he might give real and eternal life to all those in his charge. And this is the real and eternal life that they know you. So, Daddy, right now, the one and only true God and this Jesus Christ, me who you sent, I glorified you on the earth, and I glorify me before your people. Jesus prayed for himself. This is an example. Hey, there's nothing wrong with praying for yourself as long as praying for yourself is to fulfill the will of God. When you fulfill the will of God, guess what? Promotion comes. Guess what? Provision comes. Guess what? Peace is there. Guess what? Favor is there. When you're operating and praying that you fulfill the will of God, hey, it's like fog. It just follows you. You know, I call fog the favor of God. And it just follows you. When the favor of God is on you, guess what? There's no lock big enough to keep you out. But there's another side of there. There's no lock big enough that... There's no lock small enough that the enemy can pick. So when he prayed, he prayed for himself. And in praying for himself, he's, the first one he prayed about when, in praying for himself is that he acknowledges that we are God's people. How many Christians do I have here? People that call themselves believers of Jesus Christ. That's almost everybody in the room. And if you're looking at us on, on, online, if that's you, I'm talking to you as well. When you say you are Christian, you declare that you are God's people. So forget who your mama is, forget who your daddy is, forget who your best friend, your godmama, your goddaddy, your cousin, your p- uncle Pookie, whoever they are. I don't care if they are the president, the prime minister, or the biggest dope dealer in the neighborhood. Don't nobody compare to your God. B, Jesus is directly from God. In praying for himself, he acknowledges and makes it plain that I I need for you to secure in this glory that I came directly from you. 
When you say, I am a believer of Jesus Christ, you align yourself with Jesus and you say, hey, I am now directly from God. And guess what? That puts God on notice because when we're directly from God, our aim every day should be to please him. And in pleasing him, guess what? He backs us. And check this out. I'm about to say something that might rock your religion a little bit. Pleasing him doesn't always mean you get it right. It doesn't mean that you're perfect in every endeavor or in every word. But when you aim to please him, you're like David. You're quick to repent. And guess what? God says, it's all right because I forgot about it. Now I'm here to back you. And I don't care what the enemy throws your way. I don't care what attack comes your way. I don't care what they're saying on the job. I don't care what they're saying in family controversy. I don't care what they're saying in in the White House. And we got people looking at us internationally. I don't care what they're saying in your White House. When God is backing you, there is no weapon that is formed against you that can prosper. Mind you, right now, Jesus is acknowledging that he's about to go before the cross. He's acknowledging that he's about to endure a beating. That wasn't the issue. The issue is that I'm about to be separated from you, so you got to make this good because it's about to get real ugly. But when I come back, God, I need, it needs to be greater than the ugliness. And when God is backing you, just like God backed Jesus, <laughs> you can't help but to glow. You can't help but to glow. So I, co- I hope each and every one of y'all have a pair of sunglasses on you at all times. See, he acknowledges and he wants to make it clear that Jesus is connected to the only one true and living God. He is connected to only one and true and living God. Now, we're living in an age right now of trans, trans, I don't even know what it's called, meditation, and we want to be one with the universe, and we want to, oh, om, om, om. And, you know, I'm all for meditation, as long as it's prayer in the Holy Ghost. But understand, when you're, when you're talking about acknowledging the universe, do you know what's in the universe? There's every kind of bondage, deception, evil force, bondage, things that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Do you know what becoming one with the universe is really all about? We're living in an age, especially young people, the millennials and the I generation, whereby they're starting to really embrace this concept of all, go- all gods lead to, lead to one God. And nothing can be furthest from the truth. In fact, in the book of Genesis, when chapter 2, when Satan is tempting Eve, the very the one thing that he did that confused her is what he continues to do today. Same trick, different people. He says... What did God tell you? And she said, surely we can't eat from the garden, from the tree that's in the midst of the garden, of the, uh, the tree of good and the knowledge of good and evil, lest you surely die unless we, in fact, I can't even touch it. And Satan said, did he really say that? And from that time on, humanity has always been questioning, is that really true? Did he really say that? And then we embark on these here debates of whether it's God, the devil, or me. And we become confused and deceived about the voice of God. We don't know. In fact, so much so that we even question ourselves. We have this concept of truth, but we won't embrace the truth because the enemy is saying, but is that really so? Can you really be redeemed from that curse? Can you be a better daddy even though you didn't have a daddy? Can you be a better mother even though your mother was half there? Can you really raise godly children? Can you really walk in the fullness of those visions that I show you in your dreams? Can you really go out and, 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 and accrue all the things that I want you to accrue to be a blessing to the kingdom of God? Can you really come out of the gutter and be prosperous and on top even though, can, can that really happen? Can you really be a faithful husband even though your daddy was a rolling stone? Can you be the faithful wife of one man even though I already have three kids by three different daddies? The enemy has pricked at the, did he really say that, since the beginning of time. 
And with that being said, Jesus said, I need for them to know that I am directly from you and that you are the only one true and living God. This is reminiscent of the time of Moses. When Moses says, okay, God, I need for you to make it clear who's really on the throne. Times of Elijah when he said, okay, you believe Baal is your God? Where's Baal at now? In fact, he might be asleep. Wake him up. Say your prayers that'll wake him up. He said, now, God, glorify me as I glorify you and take up this offering. And Jesus prays that in the midst of that. Not for his sake, because he already knows who he came from and who he is. But for the sake of who? Us. And D, fulfilling God's will for his life, which is to give real and eternal life. Jesus says, okay, the time is coming. Now, God, I'm about to do my part. So I'm praying that you strengthen me that as I fulfill your will, that they are clear on what this is all about. Eternal life and a good life with me on earth. And then he goes on to say in that last part, E, and this is how they will have this good life on earth and eternity, by knowing me. It's the only way. He didn't say living a perfect life. He didn't say praying 24 hours a day. He didn't say making confessions to everyone that speaks something contrary to what you might believe. He didn't say carry your Bible and have it in the back window of your car, the big red letter, big red cover one. My mama still has hers. Some of y'all might be looking on your living room table right now like, oh, there go mine right there. No, that's not. He says that they might know me. I withheld nothing from them. I fulfilled, taught, established every precept that you gave me to establish. So I'm the one that's been perfect. So as they are in me, may their perfection be fulfilled. And knowing that eternal life and a good life on earth comes one way, and that's by knowing me. That's the first part of his prayer and praying for himself. But then he goes on and he prays for his followers. He prays for his followers in John chapter 17, verses 9 through 19. And when he's praying for his disciples, for his followers, and this is the men and the women that's been following him, but he's specifically praying for his disciples. And he says that, number one, they are guarded. They are protected. King James says that they are kept. As well, as long as they are in my will, as long as they are striving to know me, God, protect them. Do you think for a minute God the Father is letting Jesus down and he's praying this out loud? He says, guard them, protect them. Even when they face danger, may they know the peace of God. He prayed one time that if this cup might depart from me, take it. And that's later on in the garden. But right now he's saying, but hey, I have the peace Nevertheless, and even in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. He's praying that they are protected. As they fulfill my will, may they have the peace that passes all understanding that I am with them, that you back them, that no matter what comes, hey, the worst case scenario is eternity with me. B, that they live a life that Jesus, that they live the life that Jesus represented. Jesus' prayer for his disciples was that they could continue to live the life that he represented on the earth. And it wasn't about getting everything perfect, but hey, he expected them to have a trust so mighty in God that they could walk on water. That they could heal the sick. That they could boldly proclaim the gospel. That they can go forth and not fear any man. Because they know who got their back. Right. I remember when I was a kid and, you know, I was bullied like most of us was. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm not saying bullying is good, but when you're teased about, you know, your hair looking raggedy, it's going to make you get your hair done. Right. And so, so, uh, but I was bullied, and I, Ravoya and Regina, I ain't going to say their last names, but Ravoya and Regina on the east side of Detroit on Ferry Street back in the 1970s. Nah. Oh, they were arch enemy number one and number two. 
and I could fight. It wasn't, that wasn't the issue of being dealing with them one-on-one or even dealing with them two-on-one. But the issue with Ravoya and Regina is that they were the two youngest baby girls and they had five older brothers. And so hence the bullying. And I tell you one time, I was like, you know, they, they just pushed the last button. It was so bad that there were times I didn't even want to go to school. And my godmother said, listen, ain't nobody in my family going to be scared of no other person. So I don't care what you got to go through, but you going to school, and if you just, and she said the magic words, Etna Stevenson's God, rest your soul. But she said, you just take out the biggest one as hard and as fast as you can, and everything else will be settled so that the other, because what was happening was them two were the ringleaders, and they had all these other little girls and other little kids joining in. She said, you take out, because it's going to take a minute before them brothers get up to that school, and I'll be sure to beat them there. <laughs> and, you know, and the Stevenson was, uh, she was, she was the 1970s version of Medea. She believed in keeping her peace, if you know what I mean. <laughs> that was before the days of no weapons on campus. She, she was, my godmother was out cold. And that's what I did. But I, I, I got in trouble. But still, my godmother had my back. And there was a new boast of confidence when, she, when I knew Okay, God, mama, she says, I just do this, and she's going to have my back. So I wasn't afraid of the principal. I wasn't afraid of the vice principal. I wasn't afraid of Mrs. Thomas. I wasn't afraid of Mrs. Rollins. I, and mind you, this is second, third grade. I still remember every name and every... I wasn't scared of Dolores. I wasn't scared of Katrina. I wasn't scared of Brevoya. I wasn't scared of Chester. I wasn't scared of Maurice. I wasn't scared of Regina. I wasn't scared of one of them. Nah. But in Jesus' prayer for all that, and come back to Jesus, hallelujah. <laughs> he says that as they live this life that I represented, they are protected and that they are committed to it. See, he says that they are unified as one. Jesus prays that my disciples remain unified as one. And this spirit can only be done in the spirit of love. If you will very quickly, John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. Verses 1, verses 4 through 8. I'm just going to read it real quickly. It's not in your notes. By the way, if you're tagging along and taking notes, if you go to the U version, events, and um, you just click on linked up church, the notes are there. But this is in addition to what you already have. 1 John chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. And I'm going to read from the Amplified Classic Edition. Jesus is, John is repeating what Jesus is saying. And he says in verse 4, little children, my believers, you are of God and you belong to him. And have already defeated and overcome them, that, the agents of the Antichrist. You've already, you've already overcome them. He says, because he who believes in you is greater, my, he who lives in you is greater, mightier than he who is in the world. Verse 5, they proceed from the world and are of the world. Therefore, it is out of the world, its whole economy, and morally considered that they speak. And the world listens and pays attention to them. But you are children of God. Whoever is learning to know God progressively, to perceive, to recognize, and to understand God by observation and in your experience, and to get an ever clearer knowledge of him, listens to us. And he who is not of God, he don't listen or pay attention to us. By this we know and recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, beloved, in verse 7, let us love one another, for God, for love is, it springs from God, and who who loves his fellow men is begotten, born of God, and is coming progressively to know and understand God, to perceive and recognize and to get a better and clearer knowledge of him. He who does not love is not become, has not become acquainted with God and does not and never did know him, for God is love. So when we exist in this culture of strife and drama, when we find ourselves inclined and addicted and, and then imitating the behavior of reality TV, hello. When drama seems to plague us, we have to do a love check, an inventory of where we are because guess what? God says that anything that's not according to love is not of me. 
So when we allow ourselves to be divided, I'm not going to kick it with this click because she says something about my girl and I got to show my loyalty to my girl because I'm by not saying it. This crew can't be a part of this crew. And if I go over here and do this, that's not who God is. In fact, I said last week when in the book of Revelations, there's more mention about the church, uh, the word church, than any other place in the, in the Bible. Because specifically, he's saying, I'm coming back for my church. I'm coming back for my ecclesia. I'm coming back for my called out ones. I'm calling back. I'm coming back for the ones who've decided intentionally to love in spite of themselves. See, it's easy to say I love when we're at home cozy in our bed looking at us on screen. I love you, boo. That's okay. It's easy to love in our world of isolation. But the true test of love, the true eminence and existence and copycats of God comes together in spite of ourselves and say, but you know, I don't like that. I, don't, I might not even like you, but I love you. I don't want to see you fail. I'm not rejoicing over your demise. I'm making decisions to help you and to be a benefit from you. I might have to do it from afar. I ain't crazy. But I still make a decision to love you. I'm not going to continue to recycle your past unless it concludes with the victory of your today. And, you know, we have people in our lives well-intended, but because of the lack of revelation, they're going to hold you in bondage. They hold us in bondage to our past. And most of the time, the ones that do, us, do that the most are the ones that's closest to us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, concluding there, he says, There is no fear in love. Let me reread. There is no fear in love, but dread does it not, and dread does not exist. But full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love and has not yet grown into love's complete perfection. In other words, God says when we live in this place of fear, we are not fully embracing the love of God. We don't fully believe that he has our back. We haven't fully accepted his promises. So therefore, there's this inkling. Now, it's okay to be scared in that minute. Now, one time when we first got married, my husband, he, I'm in the house doing what I'm doing, and he decides he's going to sneak up on me. He learned real quick, don't sneak up on me. Because <laughs> in that instant, I was a, I, he scared me. <laughs> but that was real quick, and, uh, real quick and quickly dismissed in my response. But it's not like I was going to live in this fear of him coming up and doing something to me. When we know and understand have embraced the fullness of God's love, and I'm not saying you wake up one day and say, God, I believe you love me, and then we just go ahead. Because life experience has taught us the enemy has brought us to this place to believe contrary. Hence, Genesis chapter 2. Really? Did you really say that? Did you really mean that? Is that surely what you said? Can I really step out in this relationship knowing how much I've been hurt before, trusting that he's not going to hurt me? No, you can't trust that he's not going to hurt you, but you can trust that God's going to have your back in the midst of it. That the Holy Spirit is alive in you and he'll show you things to come. That he'll lead you and guide you into all truth. That, he'll have, that you'll have peace in the midst of the storm. So in that last piece, he says that, and, and see that we are unified as one. And this unification can only come in this place of loving one another. And D, that we are separated from the world. In his prayer for his disciples, he's saying that they are separated from the world. They're not going back in to blend in. They're going back in to make a firm, firm line of delineation between who he is, and who the world is. That they will be bold and speak out and proclaim the truth that I've been teaching them for these last three and a half years. Now, number three, Jesus prays for those that will believe because of his disciples. So Jesus prayed for himself, then he prayed for his disciples, and now number three, he prays for those that will believe because of his disciples. And guess who that is? 
is as me, that's me. And he's saying here, now finally in verses, John 17 from verses 20 through 26, he prays the same thing over again over that he prayed over his disciples. He's reiterating the prayer over us. So 2000, over 2,000 years ago, God had you on his mind while he was yet still in the earth. We know he had us on his mind when he was in heaven. But while he was yet on the earth, he's praying for us. And he says, A, that they're all of one heart and one mind together. Doesn't mean that we're all marching and we're like the Pied Piper and that we're all just robotic and doing everything and we're forming these cults and these cliques. No, he says they, may, they all be of one mind and one spirit together in him. And because God is all-compassing, Bernard was saying earlier how the, the angels were, they were totally embodied with eyeballs and they would fly around God, the throne, and then every time they would fly around him, they would say, holy, because they would see a different feature, a different glimpse of who God was. God is all-encompassing. So he knows every intricate detail of exactly who you are, where you've been, and what's going on. doesn't mean that he liked it all. It wasn't his will for a lot of it. It wasn't even a part of the plan. But guess what? I know the character of God. If you're here today, he's redeemed you. See, Jesus, let me make something clear. Jesus did not come to discern and to teach about right and wrong. He did not come to talk about sin and good, good and bad. He did not come to talk about evil and righteousness. That's what was in him, but he came for one reason, and that he redeemed his people back to the Father. See, we get too caught up in, I'm not living my life, I'm good and bad, right and wrong, evil and righteous, all this here stuff. Well, no, all he wants is to redeem his people back to himself. I want you back. Michael Jackson's little babies. I want you back. I want you back. When I had you to myself. No one spoke louder than God saying, I want you back. And I've come to get you back. I've given you a clear path and as easy as easy could be to get you back into the promises of God, to get you back into a place where you had the dominion, the power, the authority, and the, and, and the, and the right standing in me before Satan ever entered into that garden. I've come to get you back so there are no excuses for you to live life contrary to what my original plan was. I had a plan and doggone it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill it. So he says, in doing that, they have to be of one heart and one mind with me. B, that all of one heart and one mind are with Jesus. Well, first, that they're one heart and one mind together. B, that they're one heart and one mind with Jesus. Because there's no greater place, no safer place than being in the will of God. Amen. C, that they mature in and through this oneness. Did you know you cannot, how many of you want to grow in God? You want to grow in God. You want to see, be the vessel of signs and wonders. You want to be able to speak prophetically the oracles of God. You want to be able to inspire and impact, motivate, and teach. You want to be a mighty vessel of his power. You want a legacy of the same as Enoch that he pleased God. How many of you want that? How many of you now want to be backstabbed and talked about? How many of you want someone to spit in your face and slap you? How many of you want to loan money to somebody and they don't pay it back? How many of you want to be fired and still walk out with a straight face and dignity? How many of you want to be crushed and talked about so bad that it reaches the 5,000 followers on, on a dog on Twitter feed? How many of you want that? Come on. I know you want it, you want it, you can't wait to be talked about and dog. How many of you want that? Guess what? You don't get spiritual growth without going through that. So you can't want one without the other. You can't be willing to endure one or to embrace one without enduring the other. A lot of times the difference between those that are on top and those that are not on top is just a matter of who can take the blows. In martial arts, 
I learned the old school style there. We didn't have all the cushions and the helmets. I learned old school. When you did break falls, you did break falls on a, on a little half inch mat on concrete floors. When I learned martial arts, no, you really, when you sparred, yeah, you had to pull back on the contact, but you, depending on who you were sparring, sometimes they, they forgot that rule. <laughs> and one thing that we learned in martial arts that it was that all too often we work too hard to resist the attack. We're trying to resist the hit. We try to resist the hold. We try to resist... But your bet, especially I was a girl, a female, and I was one of two in a class of maybe about 12 boys. Not to mention my parents, you know, I was young. And um, one of the things that we learned first and foremost was our greatest ally, our greatest offense is to be very mindful of a superior defense. In other words, when that blow comes, you don't want to stop the blow, but you want to take the blow and, t and use gravity as your friend. It wasn't about who was the strongest, but who had the skills and the speed. Because there was no way I was ever going to be stronger than anyone that I had to, any of my opponents, not all the time. But if I knew what to do, and I was quick to do it, if I know God's word, and I'm quick to obey, there's enough force in that attack whereby I could just grow with the attack and go with the blow. And when you are maturing in the things of God, when someone comes against you, that's not necessarily them as much as it is the enemy to get you off your square. But you, when you understand the enemy and his devices, you can take that blow and say, you just sharpened my sword. Did you not read that no weapon formed against me can prosper? So you're, you're wasting your time, but come on. You want some of this? Cause, you know, and, and, and one of the things that one of my, my, one of my senseis would have us do on purpose with cinder block walls where we would have to stand there and just hit our head against the wall. Cinder block walls and hitting, we hit, we're doing hits against the wall with our head. So that when we did have to respond and we had nothing else to do, we could use this right here, the hardest bone in your body as an attack. <laughs> well, he said, put on that helmet of salvation. And when you know who you are and whose you are, I don't care how bound up you feel like you are. You have your helmet of salvation on your head. When you know whose you are, that's all you need to do is just say, Jesus! And like I said before, he's got your back. Now, and D, that God's love is in them, and Jesus and the Father share this same, as Jesus and the Father share this same love. As Jesus prayed for all of us, he says that he wants us to be one together, one with him, that we are mature in and through this oneness, and that God's love is in them and the Father as they share that same love together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says it like this in the New King James. Now, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. When we take time out to tear down one another, don't you know that you're tearing yourself down? And a lot of times I realize that it comes from fear because we're afraid of where we are. We're afraid and or ashamed of where we are or are not in life. And even though I know none of you have done this, but I've been guilty of that, where I was so insecure about who I am that I would, that's what they get. God don't like ugly. Not realizing that I was speaking out of the well of my own disgust. Now, in this unity, there's power. In this unity, there's ability. In this unity, there's strength. But in this unity, there's protection. Could you imagine if the body of Christ acted as one mind and heart together in, in Jesus, what could be accomplished in the earth? I remember when that whole situation with the with, uh, 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 contraceptives in the Catholic Church and them trying to mandate health insurance. Boy, 
the Catholic Church said, oh, not on my watch. You're not about to make me do contrary, anything contrary. The Catholic Church rose up and defeated the entire United States government. It said, no, no, no. Just think if all of us got together and made, made a stand for righteousness. When I was in Austin Music Department, I'm, I'm going to try something. We didn't rehearse this, but just listen. If I call your name, be ready. <laughs> Real quickly. When I was in Austin, Texas, and, and, and Lee, you can start rolling, uh, showing us the, the, the images. My girlfriend, Vanessa, she decides to take me on this ride, and she said, I want to show you something. And so we're going, and she's driving me through Austin, Texas. Remember, I had that little girlfriend trip. I went to go see some of my girlfriends. We had a good time. And, um, and my husband and my household was still good when I got back home. Praise the Lord. And so she takes me on this ride, and we go through this, on this drive to this here bridge. And I'm like, what's going on? But while we're sitting there under this bridge, all of a sudden, this just like this black blanket of stuff just came flying around. I'm like, what is that? She says, Patty, that's the bats. <laughs> the bats. And that's exactly what it looked like. It was, it was dust. It was just about to, the sun was about to go down. It was, uh, and, 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 and all these bats were just making blankets of swarms of darkness all over the place. And they were all dark in one direction, then dark in another direction. And, 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 and they would just all be in unison. It was as if they were just one blanket of something. And mind you, these bats were about an inch and a half long and maybe an ounce in weight. And people were everywhere on the bridge, under the bridge on boats to see these bats. In fact, there, is, there, are, there are tourist attractions, and you can pay to ride boats up under this water bridge to see these bats in formation. <laughs> Let me tell you what's so fascinating about them is that when they fly, they all are together. They go in one direction. And they do this for three reasons. And this is so, just, just stay with me here. When they fly together, they look like one mass. It looks like something about them is just so unison that you're like in awe of their synchronicity. Number one reason why they're so masterful at this is because they realize that when they fly together, they, the leader of the band of bats Make the draft, hit, take the blow of the draft, making it easier for these bats to fly because they migrate from Mexico. So when they are together and they fly in this unison, the draft that the leading bats take makes it easier for the following bats because most of those following bats are pregnant moms. So this, that's what they would do. They realize flying together makes it easier for the entire band to fly. Number two... They know that when they fly together, they're more intimidating to their prey. Their predators can't pick out. Mind you, it's not thousands of them. On average, they say it's anywhere between 1.5 and 2 million of these bats up under this one bridge. And when you think that they're, they're in Austin, Texas, in fact, they said that for every one person, there's two bats. They stay together. And the second reason why they stay together is because they realize that when they stay in formation and they stay compact like that, the prey, their predators can't pick them off. Those hawks and those eagles, they can't pick them off. It's hard for them to, they, they, they're thinking that, hey, if I try to take one right now, they're going to stampede me in the air and I'm going to be the victim. So when they stay together like that, they can't be picked off for the, by the enemy. And number three, when they stay together, they're able to sustain one another. See, any of the bats can take lead. Because, see, when they're flying and there's 1.5 million of them, Larry might be in the front. Larry ain't even listening. And Larry makes a noise. <laughs> Larry, you making a noise. Make a noise. And there's this thing... And there's this thing called echolocation. They're so keen and they're so sensitive to their own language that Larry could say, hey, there's food over here. There's a group of insects over here. And they'll all swarm to where Larry is. And Larry takes the lead. And they go and they eat whatever is down there that Larry found. But then over here, Emmanuel might say, hey, 
He's making noises saying, there's something over here. And they recognize his noise. And they're like, oh, Emmanuel found some moths over here. Let's go over here and make some. Y'all not following me. Y'all didn't pray this morning. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was very impromptu. And they follow where Emmanuel is. And then all the way in the back, Christian might be back there. And Christian is like, hey, y'all, there's some food over here. And with that, all 1.5 million of them get to eat. Not because one's fighting for leadership. They all recognize that every one of them have something to contribute to the entire swarm. Imagine the body of Christ. As the time draws nigh, that when we're unified in one heart and in one mind together, we don't care about how high one goes because we know as they go high, I go high too. When they find, I found. When they were promoted, I was promoted. But guess what? When they were fired, I was fired. I love, we've never made this a public thing, but I love what this church does because you all send us job postings and, and, and opportunities all the time by way of email. Hey, somebody's hiring over here, somebody's hiring over here. And I can't tell you how many people got jobs at Linked Up Church because of somebody else's contribution. I can't tell you, you all are so generous. I can't tell even people online, because you all online give so much by way of credit cards or whatever, however you donate online. I can't tell you how many households were saved out of financial chaos because of your contributions. Every Christmas, believers from all over the world, people as far as England have sent money in Africa, have sent money. I want to be a blessing to a family this Christmas. I want to be a blessing to a family this Thanksgiving. We got financial peace going on. And you know what? Most of those people, you know, we got up here and said, we'll pay for this out of our pocket. We'll pay for this out of our pocket. The truth be told, by the time we get back and calculate all the people we wanted to bless, y'all done blessed them already. I think Pastor Greg and I had a goal to bless probably about 12 people. I think, what, we probably paid for one or two, maybe? Because those were so blessed from financial peace that they understood that paying it forward blesses me. So as we go about in our days dealing with believers and non-believers, just remember the bats of Austin, Texas. Your accomplishments are somebody else's accomplishments. And in your failures, someone else is there to pick you up. As we rise, we, uh, Pastor Gregory and I are only as strong and as powerful and as benefit as the weakest among you. We can't shout from the mountaintop until everybody's on the mountaintop. And a true leader won't go on the mountaintop and say, you can do it, you can do it. No, a true leader is going to go back down in that valley and march up there with you over and over and over again. And that's the commission that Jesus gave when he prayed for himself, when he prayed for his disciples, and when he prayed for those that would believe because of the obedience of the disciples, which has lasted well over 2,000 years and has spread throughout this entire world. But now the time has come when we make an intentional decision to be unified as one body in him. We don't have to like everything, approve of everything, but when we're in him, love conquers all and it never, ever fails. Amen. Amen. I hope you all got something out of that, and we'll conclude this soon. But now, while everyone is in the attitude of prayer, searching your hearts, I never want to be remiss in thinking that everyone here has received Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Because truth is, a lot of us think we're good people. We do good things. We're nice. We're kind. We even go to church. But he's not looking for those type of people. He's looking for people who are redeemed. 
He came to redeem. So if you have never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I would love the opportunity to pray for you. Or perhaps you did. You know, I was that person. I made plenty of decisions to make Jesus my personal Lord and Savior. Truth is, I didn't really commit, though. Not because I didn't want to, but I didn't know. I didn't know a lot of things. But I didn't understand that I had to start the knowing. So perhaps that's you. Perhaps you're in a backslidden state. That's what people call it. We just call it being out of fellowship. You made Jesus your Lord and Savior. You believe in who he is. You want his promises. You have a knowledge of his word. But you live life contrary to what you know to be pleasing to God. If that's you, I would love to pray with you and just remind you that he loves you no matter what. Thirdly, perhaps you haven't learned anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the Bible evidence of speaking in tongues. If you'd like to learn more about that and receive that subsequent gift, it's a powerful gift. It's your direct connect to heaven. If you want to learn more about that, we would love to share that information with you. It's not a spooky, possessive experience as much as it's just a divine encounter with God. And I would love to have you on this side of that gift. And finally, perhaps you haven't planted yourself in a church home and you believe linked up church is the church home for you pastor gregory and i we are committed to your victory we are committed to teaching you the word of god we are committed to praying for you daily and if you believe this is a church home for you if you believe you want you are led to receive pastor gregory and i as your pastors we will be honored to serve you and if you'd like more information about that i would love to give you that information and pray with you as well so i gave four invitations to receive jesus as your personal lord and savior to repent and be rededicated back to him, to learn more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the Bible evidence of speaking in tongues, and to make Linked Up Church your church home. If any four of those invitations uh, apply to you, I would love for you to raise your hand high up in the air so that I know I'm praying with and for you. Is that anyone here this morning? Praise God. I see this hand over here. Praise God. See this hand over here. Praise God. I saw two hands go up. Is there anyone else that I'm praying with and for? And if that's you online, you're in on this prayer as well. Praise God. So now I want everyone to take, to stand up. And as you're standing, would you two gather up your belongings, make your way down here so that I know I'm, so that I can pray with and for you and do exactly what I did. Plus, I want to hug your neck. And let's encourage them as they come on down. Come on down. Praise God. I'm going to do exactly what I said I was going to do. I'm going to pray for you. And once I do, you came down here for one of four, a multitude of four different invitations. So we're going to take you to another room to make sure that you understand exactly why you came down here. I'm going to tell you right now, never trust the word of anybody that's just talking if they can't back it up with the word of God. Amen. Our foundation, our truth is from that word. And that's exactly what they're going to do when they take you back to that room. Okay. So if you would lift up your hand to the great high priest, Jesus Christ, and we're going to take care of one right here. And repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father,